Here we go. Yes. gets me fired up man thank you thank you why that's uh incubus blood on the ground hey it's bt with a tale tales from a gemini i almost forgot what my own show is called tales from a gemini podcast that gets me so go honestly music music i don't understand people who don't get into music you know what i mean i don't know if do you i mean i have to have music to pump me up and put me in different parts. Like when I take a shower at home, I put, I put, I have easy and I have workout music, easy and workout music. And I just like the, just that music puts you in a mood, man. You know, I mean, you have your, uh, especially if you're black, you have a, I had dudes call it a panty dropping music. And they have all their slow songs, like in the eighties and nineties, you know, the brothers had that eighties R and B and they, they put that tape in if a woman comes over. I don't know if you, you ever did that, Wyatt. I know you're young, but you ever did that? You had to have that special music. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like all music, but I, I was a rock and roller. So, you know, if, if a girl would come over, I'd put some, <laughs> put some heavy metal on and like, hey, like, you know, this is the precursor of what's about to happen. <laughs> so where brothers would be all smooth, they put on some Keith Sweat or some Sade. I would put on some heavy metal. And so anyway, but I think, I mean, and it, it would get you pumped up from like the greatest is watching in high school. Those all black basketball teams would come to a, like a white school. Even they respected the part they played. Like, we would play rap music before they go on, you know, you had the greatest, like you'd be the whitest school in the world, man. You like, like, you know, like white, white, white. And you were the kind of like, you have to have a, like a police escort to get in and make sure nothing goes down. But they would respect the fact they get off the bus. Just all, you know, brothers be all cool and they had their hair, but they put that, that big, that big box, the music box, and they press play, man, and it'd be the greatest music in the world. Come over to the sound system with the with the speakers that would always, but man, it was so cool. And they do their layups, like, whoa, this, this team. This I don't know about you, but I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, man, to watch the black basketball team. Even now, if even football teams, when football teams like say say if Alabama or something plays, I don't know, like they play Grambling or something, an all black team, you know, they know they're gonna kill. They still will let them have the halftime show just because it's so cool to watch the the band come out and the, and they do you know with the with the, the drums and everything. I thought that was the coolest shit in the world. How people can't get into music? Music so pumps you. It's like to this day, I wish I could have music, like to go back in time and play music for a wrestle because I never did that, you know. But I wish I could and get in that little space. You know, I mean, did you ever do that, Wyatt? Did you ever do that? You didn't? You didn't? Well, see, I, but I wish I would have. We had the Walkman. You don't remember the Walkman days, do you? <laughs> my, my, my producer, Wyatt, is 19, and I love this guy, and it's great because he gives me, he gives me advice, and I take it and listen, and it's great advice, but then when I ask him something from my generation, he has no clue. I ask him what a Walkman was, he goes, I, I heard about it. I think I saw it in like a Smithsonian Institute, but I, I have no idea what you're talking about. 
I thought that's, that's incredible. But yeah, I, like, I wish I could like put myself in that moment. I, I never got right mentally before uh, my wrestling matches. So that's what I miss, man. I wish I was, oh, if I could go back in time, man. But you can't do that. But still, I love music. So and I don't know why I got up on that music rant. I just love, I, I just feel pumped up. And I feel pumped up about today's guest. It's going to go down, what, about three minutes, I guess? Is he going to call in? Okay, yeah. I'm going to make sure he clicks that link. I'm going to hit him up right now. Make sure you click. So when he clicks it, he comes on, right? Okay, so uh, I'm gonna say just click the link in four minutes. I know this is unprofessional, but this is what I'm gonna do. Just click uh, the link uh, in four minutes. Uh, in three minutes. I'm so excited uh, about my guests coming on. I think you get, I don't know if you guys know who it's gonna be. Uh, I'm so, gosh, I'm so excited. Like I said, music puts me in my, and, and just the way I wanna be. And in and, and sports, and I was telling why it's like if I could go back in time, everything, all my fantasies, everything I want to do is all sports related and, and everything. I, I mean, it's never what oh, I wish I could go out with this girl, except for there is one girl of people always ask me, You never want to be married? I mean, I'm 50 plus, and they go, You never met anybody you want to marry? And I go, No, and I take that back because for some reason I was talking to somebody, and they go, And we were talking about the girl, I think it was last week when I was interviewing Alan Lane. For some reason, we talked about the girl that got away. And I think about the one woman and she knew motorcycles and that, and that got me. And, and when a woman says she likes motorcycles, I'm like, what? It's like, Ur. and then I remember we were at a party and she walked in and on her phone was a picture of Valentino Rossi. He's the greatest motorcycle racer ever. And I'm like, oh my God, this might be the one. And she was into me. And let me tell you something, man, that was like the two, we spent like a week, two weeks together. And man, and I was tired from a relationship before and I, and I couldn't, make that step dude and i that was the one i should have manned up and said let's try to make this work you know what i mean but she i i tried to i kind of threw it out there you know when those you know how girls when girls screw up yeah you women you do mess up and when women mess up and they they try to hit you back with a hey stranger you know what i mean they try to test that water test see what the temperature's like they go hey stranger you're like yeah whatever well i kind of did that to her and so and her response kind of told me okay yeah okay so i was like hey be kind of cool if we saw something like that and she responded back with something else and then i hit her up on him but i I sent her a last message like about a month ago and said something she could hit me up on a message and i thought oh maybe there's something there but i didn't go for it i mean you know i get rejected enough in this business i don't need it in my personal life you know i like easy in my personal life i mean this business is hard enough as it is i'm trying to survive in i don't know how many years before you know doing this job and i got people coming up being young i feel like a like a like a veteran nba player or nfl player and then like like aaron Rodgers. now they drafted his replacement and you're sort of trying to be relevant that's what i'm doing right now so but man yeah that's probably the one i should have i mean it's never over like my dad said it's never over till it's over but i don't know that's probably the one yeah man that, that yeah Man, you know, we actually did one time. We and it was like out of a movie. We met up on on an island. It was, we were we were both working cruise ships, we were working different cruise ships, and we had to be on the same island together. That sounds like some romantic shit, right? And we just happened to see each other on the beach, and she came and she in her bikini, and literally, I was walking to where she was, and she was walking where I was, and Mash remember seeing her, and like she waved. God damn it, man. Oh man, I remember that. Ah, oh, don't make me tear up. I'm tearing up, man. Oh my God, she waved, and we and we gave each other both a hug. Where you know, sometimes you give each other a hug, 
and one person's feeling it more than the other. The other person's like, you can let me go anytime. <laughs> I'm going to call the police. Well, it was like, we both hugged and I felt that. Like we both felt like we didn't want to let go. And then we, ah, oh, man, we, we swam together. And I remember one of the uh, people on the beach were like, and this girl was funny. She was being dead serious. She goes, are you two like supermodels? I mean, I was, I was obviously in better shape, but she goes, are you two like supermodels? And, I, and she was being serious, serious. I go, uh, no, we're just friends. And she goes, wow, you two should be like, she really thought we were models. And I thought, okay, really? And so this is back when I ate meat. So we were like eating like jerk chicken at this little restaurant. And it's, and I, I day drank for some reason. I think I had like a, a daiquiri or something. And we, and we, oh my God, man. Oh man. Ah, oh, oh, my buddy's coming. Okay, thank God. My buddy's coming. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my guest on the show. Here he comes up. Here he, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see him. Only, only this is one of the few people who knows how much of a dork I really am. There he is. What's up? Can you hear me, B? Can you hear me, B? B, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, oh, connect your, okay. Okay, so, okay, uh, connect your computer audio, okay. Uh, okay, say so connect your computer audio. Bradley, can you see me, B? Can you see me, B? <laughs> can you see me, B? Yeah, here we go. Hey, what's up, B? Here we go. Press the right button. <laughs> ladies, and, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I, this is the guest. I think when I first got, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, when I first uh, got this show, I was like, I knew, I kind of, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be because I'm, you know, I'm so Gemini. I'm going in different directions. You know, I'm scatterbrained. But I knew for a fact when I got it down, I said, I know, I want to get it to where I kind of know where the show's going to go. And this was the guy I wanted from the beginning. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. One of the most talented individuals on the MotoGP circuit. He is Bradley Smith, the sexy Sagittarius. The, the brain from Oxford, <laughs> England, <laughs> and my son. How you doing, Bradley? I'm good, Dad. I'm good, Dad. How, how are you? <laughs> it's good to see your face. Oh, man, it's great. To see. Are, are, are you in France right now or Monaco? I, I'm in Monaco, yeah. Oh, look at you, man. I, you know, I, when I was talking to your girlfriend last year in Valencia, I was like, you know what? I want to go to a Formula One race. You know me, I want to do a big time. I want to go to Monaco. And I said, I'll just stay with you and Brad. <laughs> That's what I said to her. I don't know if she told I mean, if she didn't directly there and then, yeah, if she didn't directly there and then say no, then you're on the cards. I think that's hilarious. I'll just invite myself over. Hey, it's me, B. How's it going? That's what I would have done. I mean, isn't, I isn't that what you do all the time anyway? <laughs> you know what? I think it's a, the, the funny thing about this is I tell people all the time, I, I'm the biggest dork when it comes. I mean, MotoGP is my life. I mean, that's the one sport I love more than anything in the world. So I, I was following you on, and, and you don't know about this, but when I first moved to Indianapolis in 2006, Speed TV, I was watching MotoGP, and I go, oh, my God, this, is, this stuff is incredible. And, I, and for some reason, I gravitated towards you. And I was like, I, li I like this Bradley Smith guy. I liked it. And, and for the longest time, I thought Nico Tarot was you. <laughs> so when, when, you, when you guys were on, were on the podium together one time, and they go, and Bradley Smith, and, and you, and I go, that's, that's Bradley, and I thought and I thought Bradley Smith was Nico. To right, I thought you were Nico, and I was like, okay, so, that's cool. So then you felt bad because it's like, okay, 
it's it's the ginger kid, right? <laughs> then you felt bad for me. No. <laughs> I just thought I never told you that. I go, oh man, I thought he was every time I see Nico, I think of you. Every time I see you, I think of Nico. And I go, and I could have adopted Nico, but I said, you know what? It's you. It's you. And I told my friend, I go, man, I said, I like this Bradley Smith kid. And it was Alonzo, you know, my other friend Alonzo, the other comedian. And he goes, You're friends with a 15-year-old? I go, Yeah. And he goes, You don't think anything's weird about that? <laughs> I go, no. So I've been a big fan of yours. That's bro. that's one of those. No, that's, know. that's one of those. Don't, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Our little secret. <laughs> <laughs> but here, here's the thing. And like, if anybody knows how much of a dork I am, it was 2011. And so um, my first trip to Europe, my first trip, I was in, I was in Italy. Everything was going right for this trip. And big Tony took me to your garage. And I just remember going, Bradley. And I gave you this, not knowing that you had an injury on your arm. I think your right arm. And I was, and we got a picture of me hugging you. And you're like, ah, who is this guy? <laughs> I mean, because I'm, I'm such a big presence. And I gave you that big hug. And you're like, okay. And I said, man, just stay focused. You'll do it. Just stay focused. And I remember you got a podium that weekend. It was Marquez, Brattle, and you. And you got off the bike. And you turned and looked at me. I took your helmet off. And you go, how's that for focus? And I just remember, oh, he remembered. And, I, and, for, and, and you have no idea. <laughs> The, the feeling I got in my whole body, go, oh my God, he remembered. And I'm a 40 year old man going, oh my God, he remembered what I said to him. But, but BT, you have to remember, you're a 40 odd uh, year old man with big muscles. You're black <laughs> inside of a Mother GP paddock. There's not many of you around. Like, you know, zero. out of the long list of VIP guests. Mm. Yeah, but you know what, though? The funny thing about it, all the Italians thought that I was Hussein Bolt. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. When I was here to go, go in, the security dude goes, are you uh, Hussein Bolt? I go, yeah. And I, and I did the pose. Like, he goes, ah, like this. And they all thought I was Hussein. And I go, do you guys have cable? I mean, how bad is, if you think I'm Hussein Bolt? And that was when I, my hip was bad. So I had a little limp. I was like, how do you think I'm Hussein Bolt? You know what I mean? But I, I went with it. So, and I just remember that. I remember going, focus. And, man, you got that pose. I was so happy for you. And ever since then, and people don't realize this, man. Your people, you know, talk about Rossi and Marquez, but you've been runner-up in the championships 10 years apart. You got a runner-up in 2009 to Julian Simone on Aprilia, and then fast forward 2019, run-up in the Moto E category. I mean, that's unbelievable, Brad. The, the sustainability, what you have. I tell people all the time, if there's going to be a sniper, a Jason Bourne character in the paddock, it's got to be you. Because you look unassuming, you're so nice, but when that visor goes down, you're every bit as lethal as Mark Marquez. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Because what you do is you stay, you like I said, you stay focused and you come in within 10 years to be runner-up in the championship. And you're the only rider, correct me if I'm wrong, who's gotten a podium in every single class. And 125s, Moto2, MotoGP, and Moto E. I mean, I, can you explain that to like, what, what did you do to sustain that sustainability? Cause there's a lot of people now who aren't in racing who started out with you. B, can you hear me? B? Can yeah, you? I can hear you. It's just oh, okay. a little bit delayed. Every now and again, it just goes into like a buffer and it's a little bit delayed, but I'm, I'm with you now. Okay, um, okay. Man, all I can say is it's love of the game. Um, you know, more than, more than anything, it's just a case of, it is just love of, love of the game and, and refusing to quit because I think a 
couple of guys are thrown in the towel maybe a little bit early when things weren't going quite right. They didn't see out, um, you know, maybe their full potential or, you know, they got dealt a few bad cards and that affected their kind of motivation and, um, you know, maybe their spirit a little bit. But I mean, I love what I do and I want to be competitive in whatever it is that I'm doing. And I don't know, like 2009 was a fantastic year for me. Um, obviously, that one I feel um, means more just because it was my very first, uh, you know, silver medal or my only silver medal. I was running for the for the championship all the way up to, to two rounds to go. So I think that one wins more. Um, then obviously, fast forward 10 years in the motorway, it, it means, uh, it still means something. It still proves that, you know, I'm a, on a competitive level. Um, but I would probably say the eighth position, you know, the very last race with KTM at Valencia, that one probably rings a little bit more um, in terms of signing off my full-time MotoGP career with a, a top 10 finish on, on that type of bike in the rain. That one means a, a little bit more to me. But uh, I mean, crazy when you actually think about it over the last 10 years, what's actually happened and, uh, you know, how my, how my career's kind of unfolded. And you know, I've been thrown a lifeline in terms of it's not done just yet. So let's see what happens. The, the thing that stands out to me was, and I, it, I just remember this conversation like it was yesterday when I went over there for my birthday weekend over to Europe. You know, I, I rented a bike and went up to the, uh, the Stelvio Pass when I was in Milan. Then I flew to uh, Catalonia, you know, Barcelona to watch you guys race. And we sat and talked outside of the KTM hospitality is me you your real dad <laughs> your girlfriend and family and matt and i just remember man the conversation we had because you knew you were out at ktm and i was like what are you gonna do next and you had this this uh, it, it was a calming and it wasn't cocky but it was a calming confidence like we'll just see what happens and i just love that oh man did we lose him oh hold can you hear me b yeah, I don't know why it just keeps on jumping. I can hear you yeah. like perfect, but okay. the video seems to like hop on and off. Yeah. And where it says why it fell in, like in the bottom corner, sometimes yeah. it just goes red. Like I don't know what it is that's doing it, but it's just going red. And then when it's white, I can hear you super clear. Like I, I don't know which one's doing it or creating <laughs> the problems, but. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah, I, I just thought. That, that confidence you had about, I was like, what are you going to do? You said, I, I don't know, but we'll just see. And, but, the, but the way you said it, it was just a calming. And I said, you, you want to go to, to World Superbike? And you were like, no, no, not really. But it wasn't a diss toward those guys at all. It was like, no, I just want to see what happens. And I was like, that man, it, it, that affected me more. I just remember leaving. We said our goodbyes. And I remember leaving going, wow. And I don't know why, but that really just touched me in my heart. I was like, man. You know, you and I knew you had more to give, and I thought it was beautiful what you did. And do you sometimes look back and go, if I would have stayed at Tech Three, what would have happened? Because you got that podium at, uh, at Phillip Island, and then you ran the most beautiful race I think I've ever seen you race when you got the podium in Mazzano in 2015, that ill-fated year, 2015. Like, could you walk me through that? Like, when we had the conversation, you go, I don't know what I was going to do. Did you have a feeling that you were still going to stay in the paddock? I don't know, because I've been asked a few questions that weekend in terms of, hey, Brad, like, how do you feel? Where do you see uh, yourself going? And uh, I think actually that weekend I was like, you know what, I'm more or less happy just to throw it in. Like, I I've put so much into this. And if no one can see my value, no one can see my worth, then 
then I'm just going to throw it in. And uh, I mean, I think during that weekend, I was in and out of uncertainty in terms of what would happen. And honestly, the conversation with you just saying, we'll see what happens. I wasn't even sure in myself. And I'd kind of been yo-yoing back and forward for probably two to three months. Um, Because I think I got told it was beginning of May and that race would have been middle of June. So that yeah. would have been six, six, six weeks since I've been told about the Zarco thing. Um, and only a week since I'd heard about Sharin jumping on the, the tech three program. So, I mean, I was out, there was nothing. Um, but somehow I just had this feeling that if I proved what I could currently do on that motorcycle, something would pop up. So we were in Barcelona. I still had half a season to go. Anything can happen inside that world. And it was just, man, if this is going to be my last half season, this is going to be my last like eight, nine races. I'm not going to be bummed now. I'm going to make sure if I go out, I go out going, fuck you. Um, yeah. You know, yes. um, that's, that's the BS stamp like on my career. And that's, you know, that's what I told you I could do um, and kind of write my own last chapter rather than just being defined as, oh, okay, this is the end. I can write the fairy tale ending in terms of this is what I did on the KTM and this is my level when I, when I rolled out of the paddock. And I just set sail up doing that. And I think the results speak for themselves and rest is history. I thought, man, I honestly, I thought that was beautiful. And I mean it, man. After that conversation, I got my car and I had to go to the airport. And I was just like, why? I mean, that hit me like, I was like, wow, okay, okay. And I was like, man, bees. And how does that affect you on the grid, though? Knowing that you're out, and like, and no offense to Hoffa. I mean, I love the guy. No offense to him or any of those guys, actually. Okay, Zarko's coming in. Like, how does that affect you when you're lining up on the grid and maybe you see them while you're lining up and you got to get your head right because you're about to do the business with these guys. But at the same time, you're thinking, I'm better than this guy. I'm better than he's going to replace me. I mean, does that, how, does, how does that affect you on the grid as you're getting ready to race? You just can't allow it to, to go that way kind of mentally. It's just got to be, I got to look after number one and that's me. And I got my game plan. I know what I need to, to try and do. I know what I need to try, try and achieve. Um, because as soon as you let emotion kind of get too much into it and feel hard done by about this person, about that person, man, that's when life starts to go wrong, huh? You know, like I'm sure that's in any type of subject, any topic across anything in this world. As soon as you start looking over as like, he's got something better or I'm better than this guy or this, like you just, something goes, something goes missing. And especially in elite sport you can't allow that for that to to go also we know that i'm involved in a sport that's very business orientated so money is one thing um your passport's another um marketing and so on and so forth and because of the budgets that's needed to go into this then some decisions aren't done just based off of talent you know they're just done based off of what fits at that time um and if that meant that I wasn't the guy that fit at that time, then that was just it. But I was going to make sure I just let a little thorn in their side by the end of the season, like, mm, did we make the right decision? And I think if we look at how it played out last season, yeah. in terms of all the way through 19 with Zaka replacing me and Sharin, I'm sure there was plenty of times where they were daydreaming in their uh, little offices somewhere going, hmm, I'm not sure we made the, the right call on Bradley there. Yeah, I, I I felt the same way. I was like, huh, you mean, you know, you had Bradley, but you let him go. 
you know, and, and I really thought when you were tech three and let's, and I want to go back to 2015 in Mazzano, and I'm pretty sure it was September. And we talked about this, but I still say that was one of the most beautiful. And, and you said the quote, which I love, you go, luck favors the brave. And that was when you, it, people, if you can remember, that, that's the race. It started raining and they, and they had to bring the bikes out and you stayed out and you went to first place and uh, for like a lap, I think it was you and Dobie. Then Dobie went in, you were in second, then, Do, then Dobie went in and then you were first. And then, so they changed to, uh, to the, the, the rain tires. You stayed out on the slicks because you, you saw, you told me you saw the, uh, the, the, the sky, like, you know, it could dry out, but then you went in late and you dropped as far as 21st and then and then it started the, the track started drying up a dry line appeared and then all of a sudden you went from 21st on the with 14 laps to go and you start climbing back up and i'd be damned if you didn't get second place man walk me through that how did you have the perseverance to go this is all gonna work out <laughs> how did you know uh, I didn't. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to like suddenly sit here and just be like, yeah, it was such a calculated decision. Um, I had nothing to lose. Honestly, I was sat there uh, at that point in the season. My championship points were looking quite good. I was on track for, for top satellite of the, of the year. And I don't know, I had to throw something. I was missing some spice in my life, you know, and I was, <laughs> I, I was, I was honestly thinking, okay, like if any of those type of races come about yeah. and there's any opportunity at any point to kind of throw caution to the wind, I'm going to do it. And, uh, it started to spit spot all the championship guys like played it safe and jumped in. And like you said, I think it was me, Dovi, Pedroza and Redding. We stayed out for another lap. Redding ended up locking the front and running off into the gravel yeah. and falling down. And then everyone else came in. And then I was way too committed at that point because it was like, if I come in now, I'm going to be last. Yeah. So I just basically was like riding so slow. I mean, there was puddles everywhere around the racetrack. And I'm like, okay, if I come in now, I'm screwed. So I'm just going to go until I crash. So I, I carry on going and I carry on going. And then I think I was like, oh man, I'm just going to throw it in. I was dead last. I was nearly crashing every single corner. And I went to start to, to pull in and my dad was hanging over the barrier on the right hand side of the, of the racetrack. And as I started to go in, I just see him in it, like, like his old school motocross dad way. He took off his hat and just started like going like this. At that point there, I was like, all right, I, I'm, I'm in it, I'm in it. Like, and I literally rode back out of the pit lane and carried on going around the track. And sure enough, I literally turned the very next corner, the rain stops, the sky starts to brighten up and the track just starts drying. Like it dried the fastest I've ever seen a racetrack dry. Cause it was new, you they know, just repaved like it, didn't they? Every they half a lap. Yeah. Yeah, but, but every half a lap, the temperature, the this, like everything just worked out. There's no way that slick should have worked on that track, but somehow, you know, the, the, the chemical reaction with the track and this, that, and the other, and man, it just worked out. It was, it was one of those ones where I just threw everything to the wind and it stuck and I look a hero, but I could have easily looked a complete, 
I thought that was so down. Did you get that feeling of, of endorphins? Like that feeling of rush, like this, this is going to work out because like I said, in the beginning, like, Oh my God, I got nothing to lose. Let's see how it works out. But all of a sudden when you see it start working, when you see the track is drying out, did you get that feeling like, okay, it's going to work. I mean, did, did that, did that feeling come over you Ben? You can't imagine. Like I was just laughing inside my house, you know, <laughs> yeah. just laughing. Like you fucking idiot. Like how did this work out? Like, because, because the thing was I was riding around and I was P21 and nearly got lapped. Yes. And then all of a sudden within four laps, I basically went P21, P14, P8, P2. Yes. And I looked at the pit board and it said P2. And I'm like, there's no freaking way. Like they, they messed up or something or, or if not right. I come around the next lap, I glance over, it's still P2. And I think it was like minus seven seconds. Yeah. Um, and, and so I looked at the road, I could see Mark. And I'm just like, man, I am really second position right now. And uh, obviously concentration was key at that point, but yeah. pretty much three laps to go, I was literally just singing in my house. <laughs> what, what were you singing? What were you singing? What was the song you were singing? I, I like to ride my bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> my, my queen. <laughs> and the, yeah, so, so I, I like to ride my bicycle. Like I like to ride, ride my, my bike. bike. Yeah. <laughs> That is incredible to me. That's awesome. The fact that you're singing in your helmet and you're talking to yourself because we don't know what's going on inside that helmet. You know what I mean? But the, here's the thing. But you said this, and, and this is what amazes me is how did you have the wherewithal with all with everything going on and people that know the model GP, you guys are moving. Even on the short tracks, you're still at least going 180, 190. How do you have the wherewithal to see your dad and know where your dad is at with everything going around, everything around you? How do you have the wherewithal to see your dad? But that's one of those ones where, like I said, those days are your days. You can't explain yeah. why they happen or yeah. how they happen. Just everything comes at the right time. Like, why should I have been able to, out of all the people that were stood around the racetrack, yeah. why should I have seen my dad? And why at that moment did he kind of figure out what I was doing and like wave his hat and have me, you know, carrying on, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's so many strange things there that you're just like, how did that happen? Why did that happen? But it just did. I'm taking it. And I have a freaking awesome uh, second position trophy. And uh, yeah, that's, that's one for the memory books. Man, that is beautiful. Because honestly, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, you know me. I try, if I'm in a GP race, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. So I just remember being in, um, in, in uh, it was Austin. And I don't know if you knew I was there. And I, I stood by the, I stood when you guys come out of the, you know, the, the pit, just ready to get on the pit road and hit it. And I just remember standing there going, giving you the old, you know, fist in the air, like, go get him. And you kind of looked over, like, and shook your head, like, oh, God, he's here. <laughs> and I was like, and, and it always amazes me how you can, I always think that you guys are so, so tunnel vision. And you don't see anything because, you know, you watch Mark come out and it's like, it's like there's no other world but just a racetrack. And other people are like that. But then there's people like you, people like Carol, uh, Carol Abraham. They, and, uh, and one time Maverick, they, like, he glanced over, like, oh, he's here. Hey, what's going on? And they give me a wave. And to me, that's everything in the world to me that's how much of a dork i am when you did that you leaked over like oh i could see in your helmet you were like oh god he's here and you shook your hair like ah oh, b and then you took off on the racetrack and i laughed and <laughs>
Yeah, but there's pretty much like there's places that no one can go. Like it doesn't matter which pass that you have inside that paddock. So you've got to imagine I go to 19 different racetracks across the year. I have the most dope paddock pass of access all areas that you could possibly get. And BT is somewhere that not even the officials go and he's giving you a fist bump as you're heading out on the racetrack. You're just like, where did you come from? How did you get there? And how did you get away with it? <laughs> I'm like, Shh. I'm like black James Bond. Shh. <laughs> I swear. No, 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 let me tell you one thing. Tell me. You are not black James Bond. <laughs> Doesn't matter how much you think that it is. You are not black James Bond. Man, I swear to God, I, I, that, that was, I, that would save my memory bank forever. And also last year when we had the dinner together, it was me, you, I think, was, was Matt with us? It was me, you. Um, uh, no, it was me, you, Vash, John, and yeah. Veronica. Yeah, Veronica, who wouldn't shut her yap up. <laughs> Remember her? I mean, we, we joke about this, so it's not being mean to her, but everything was about her. Like, come on, Veronica, can I just talk to Bradley? And then the bill comes, and the bill is not, I swear, it, this is my producer, Wyatt. I said, the bill was like $500, something like that. Remember that? And I was like, oh, man. And I was like, and I did, and I did the traditional, well, you know what? I didn't really eat everything. I didn't eat the meat thing that came out, so I don't really have to pay that. And I was like, I was trying to pass the bill to Bradley. I go, well, he's a racer. He's got to be money. And I kind of tried to pass the bill to Bradley. Like, we're all eating, and this bill comes out. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, you know, like the kind of bill where you go, okay, I got to go to the bathroom. You go, where'd you go? You know what I mean? I just remember that. Do you remember eating that in, in Austin, and that bill came out? Remember that? Remember, we, it was one of those, you got like, Yeah, some, that wasn't my choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was you, you know you you know if you would have come to dinner with me we would have gone to to wendy's where did we go in indianapolis that time was it applebee's yeah, man you it was for yes yes here's, here's the story like i you know me i'm like i said i'm a, I'm a dork so moto gp's coming and i'm a grown man in my room going tomorrow they're gonna be here they're gonna be here they're gonna be here i'm going to the racetrack tomorrow and i look at my twitter feed and it was bradley smith going hey i'm, I'm landing in in uh, indy tonight uh what's going on and i go hey you want me pick you up from the airport and he goes, yeah, why not? I go, <gasps> and I literally, I picked him up from the airport. And in true American style, we went to Applebee's. <laughs> I took him to Applebee's. I got a mojito and he got an Oreo shake. And we're at the bar and he's eating the Oreo shake. And I'm eating a mojito like, so tell me about MotoGP. <laughs> and, and, then I, and then I took it. You, I, go ahead, go ahead. You were, you were just trying to use me as bait because you were trying to get the, the telephone number <laughs> off of the hostess there. She, you were just like, hey, Brad. Speak in your English accent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You lure her in and I'll go in for the kill. That, and then he's eating the mil, you know, drinking a milkshake. And she's like, How old is he? Look, don't worry about it. You want to go out or not? <laughs> I remember that, man. <laughs> that was a great time. But you know, it also reminds me of the fact that and this and and, and same thing in, in Texas. You said, Hey, I'm, I'm doing nothing tonight. I'm in Texas right now. What um, what's everybody doing? And I say, well, Why don't you come up and see my show in Dallas? And I'd be damned if you came. You and your dad came. And that remind and, and that to me touched me in two ways. One, that you actually were a man of your word, but that relationship with your dad, man, have you guys always been that close like that to where like, like you hang out together and he gets, he's at your race. Like he was crying his eyes out in Phillip Island when you got that first podium at, you know, and well, I think it was two fourteen, uh, when you got your podium with, with, uh, who won that race? I think, you know, Marquez won, you were on the podium. I forget who got second, but like, tell me, were you, were you and your dad always that close? 
I think it's a, it's a family thing. So you live through emotions, right? So basically from when I first jumped on a motorbike, he was always there. Um, and that's always been the same, uh, up until I was, I think 14, 15, then there was two, three years where I was under uh, a regime that wasn't really too keen on having a family around. So basically kind of a little bit isolation in terms of they just took you in and, uh, they, they basically acted as your parents, but you know, obviously, uh, they were just, uh, rider coaches and, and team managers. Um, but as soon as I was able to have that chance to, to get him back, then obviously I, I did. And, um, my dad doesn't know a whole bunch about road racing, but certainly he knows me, how I work, how I go about doing things. Um, good days, bad days, uh, knows how to kind of liven it up a little bit or throw some, some things in the air knows when just to be quiet and let me sleep on the way back. And, uh, uh, also knows when to, to give me a clip around the ear and say, Hey, you know, you need to figure something out because that sucked today. Um, and he's probably the only person that I could really take that from and go, okay, yeah, you're, you're right. So yeah, just, we, we have that relationship and it worked so, so well. Um, when I went to, to Red Bull, unfortunately that broke down because, uh, they made the decision that they, again, were a regime that they didn't want parents around. So then I got involved with Matt and we went on a journey together for the next three years there as well. So, um, but that relationship with my dad will, will never go away. Uh, we got to do a motocross race last year where we basically, just went and me, him, my mum, uh, the dog in the camper, and we went racing for the for the weekend motocrossing. And um, yeah, it brought me back to the the old times and uh, brought back some some great memories. So I I do miss it. Um, all my best results were with my dad. So I certainly accredit a lot to a lot to him. Man, that I mean, honestly, I think that's beautiful. I think we take it for granted now, seeing it now. But like, you know, I came from a generation where even even when I was in sports, my dad was always there, but it wasn't that closeness. Like I tell people, me and my parents weren't friends until, you know, like I was well on in life. Like the last 15 years has been great, but growing up, we weren't friends. I mean, I, he was there for me athletically and yeah, to put a foot up my ass. And then once I was gone, I was gone. We weren't friends, but that's what I love the most is seeing that relationship, man, that, that closeness with your parents. Cause when it's all said and done with, I mean, it, no, don't, no offense to all your teams you were with, you know, they say, yeah, we're family here, we're family, but you know, um, family doesn't, you know, pay me or charge me to do this and that. So when it's all, when everything breaks down, man, the people always going to be in your life are going to be your family. And you're, and just watching your dad, how you guys operate. I mean, when it came to when I was in, I think Silverstone, I, I didn't see you at all in Silverstone. And I talked to your dad more than I talked to you. And I thought that was just beautiful, man. I just, I've always respected that relationship with you and your dad. And I thought that was great. Like now, okay. Now, did he push you toward motocross or did he push you toward bikes at all? How did you get involved in bikes period? Uh, so basically I grew up pretty much on a farm that had a motocross track on it. So we, we lived on a farm and then because of my dad's previous love with, with motocross, um, we, ha we had it on the, on the farm. I, I lived there. I lived around it. My dad said I showed no interest in bikes whatsoever uh, and <laughs> until, I, until I turned six and suddenly just chirped up and was like, hey, um, I want to I wanna ride motorcycles. And he's just like, uh, 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 okay, great. You know, so... Um, I think mum had some apprehension for about 24 hours and then yeah. she's like, okay, I'm not going to stop this. This is going ahead, whether I say yes or no. So, um, and yeah, basically I had uh, a normal kind of 
schoolboy career. So uh, from like the age of six to 15, uh, kind of through the amateur ranks and stuff like that, um, I started to get to a level where it was, I was winning most of the the youth national races. And mm -hmm. then it was a question, then what do I do next? Do I come over to the US? At that point there, there was Loretta Lynn's, there was the Minios, yeah. um, which we were kind of looking at options to come and do those ones. Or was it to go to like European championship and go and race over there? And pretty much my dad just fell out of racing. He fell out of the situation of uh, loading up and going to racing every weekend. But more than anything is that, he didn't like the fact that I didn't get credit for what I was doing. It was always, oh man, you do it because uh, your dad used to race. Oh man, you're good because you had a motocross track in your back garden. And uh, he was like, oh man, let's go and try something different. You know, let's go try some, some road racing and see how that goes. And now, now I'm in the world championship and uh, no one can say, oh, well, you're good because, you know, it was kind of, I did it all off of my, my own back with his help and, uh, we, we got where we were. To be honest, I don't know if I would have made it to World Championship in motocross. I certainly would have tried. Yeah. But uh, I think it's been more fun on this MotoGP journey. That's just uh, Now, is it true that most of, the, most of the guys in road racing, they would give up a championship or a win if they could win in motocross? I've heard, Johnny yeah. Ray, I've heard Johnny Ray say that. And why is that? I have no idea. I think, I think most of the guys that came from motocross are willing to do that. So like, for example, I'd say, all right, like if someone off, if I was able to race and be competitive at Supercross next year, like yeah. sign me up. Like I will really? go to America now. Yeah. And basically just work nonstop through the rest of this season, through the off season to line up at A1 next season. I, I'd, I'd probably give up like next year MotoGP just to ride at A1. Like literally just to really? turn up. And be able to qualify like in the lights or something for A1, you know, like that's, that would be a dream come true. Now, why, why is that? I mean, what is, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, that's where I started. I started off on a Z50, man, when I was eight years old. And to me, if, if me personally, dirt stays with you forever. Just getting up in that dirt and, and getting dirty and maybe falling in the dirt and getting muddy. Maybe that's, I, but what is it for you about it? What is it that, that, that motocross has that love where, like you said, you give up just to line up for one time in A1s? What, what is it about that that appeals to you? You're, you're always chasing something that you don't have. And I think right. that's finally what it is, is that once you've ticked off, because I would never have said this, yeah. like maybe five years ago, I would have said it maybe jokingly, but I would like never have said it five years ago. But once you've ticked pretty much all your boxes yeah. um, and got to a point in your life where it's like, well, I've got everything that I could possibly want. Like I've got my money inside the bank. What's the one thing that would really make me happy? Yeah. And you start chasing that and it's experiences. It's that type of being able to turn up at A1 uh, under all the lights, you know, when the lights go down and the, the announcers, uh, you know, announcing everyone to monster energy, super fast. <laughs> you know, like lights go crazy. Let me hear that yellow. again. Like, Let me hear that again. That's, <laughs> Yeah, I can't, otherwise I'll start coughing. That's the deepest I've ever gone in my life. I know, I was like, is that Bradley? Is that Bradley? Yeah. But I kid you, I kid you not, like, it's, it's that. It's that type of experience that money can't buy. So, yeah, that's, that's where I would like to, to, to be at. And so, now, how'd you make the transition from motocross to road racing? And how'd you know that was going to be, how you, you're going to be successful at that? 
Oh, it was blind faith. It was a case of a few friends had done it. So, um, a quick story. My dad raced against John Reynolds um, in AMCA motocross. My dad see John Reynolds go across the road racing. And in 2005, John Reynolds at 41 years old was BSB world champion, uh, BSB uh, champion, uh, British champion. Holy moly. Then we saw Johnny Ray do the same thing where he pulled out of one, two fives uh, in uh, youth motocross. Cause I used to race at the same races as Johnny. I was just one, one category lower. Um, we see him pull out, go to the Red Bull rookies and then was like doing pretty good in, uh, in the one, two fives and then the 600s pretty much the, the next year after. So being good mathematicians that we are, it's like, okay, well, if we pull out of motocross and go road racing, then we're going to be successful. Right. So uh, <laughs> if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. You know, or why, why not? So um, we, we, we kind of just, yeah, threw, threw everything at it and uh, right, right timing where I got involved in 2004, did a national championship and in 2005, Dorna created an academy in Spain where they're just like, hey, Brad, want to come race GP125s in Spanish Championship? We're going to pay for absolutely everything for you. Your accommodation, your, your living, your testing, your racing, like everything, a free paid ride. And I'm just like, uh, what? You know, like, <laughs> You're paying for it, right? You're paying for it? You're paying for it. You're paying for it. Yeah. Pretty You're much like, like, like the dinner in Austin. <laughs> I was like that. I'm like, yeah. we're, we're not splitting this, right? Like, You're paying for everything. You're paying. Okay, got you. Make sure you're yeah. paying. That, yeah. Man, that is, dude, that yeah. is great. You know, I, I remember Chad Reed saying, and it wasn't being cocky. He was like a confident. He goes, you know, I think he had a chance to go to road racing, I think. And, but he stuck with uh, motocross. It obviously worked out for him. But I think I would love to see how Chad Reed would have done in road racing. You know, I think he would have been a great racer. You know, you think? I think, I think, especially for the off-road guys, um, that seems to be like the guys that are coming through now, they all have some sort of off-road background. They all have something that, that allows them to, to do something, something special. It teaches them something better than just from, from road racing. Uh, you see any top meta GP guy now on a dirt bike, they're killing it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question. Okay. Um, Who's the best British rider who's ever raced road racing uh, in, in the premier class, not named Sheen? Probably Kyle Fogarty, if you go off of uh, no. num. Okay. No, if, if that's what you want to say. Okay. You don't, no, you don't, you're not going to put yourself in there? Are we, are we going But Oh, I, I mean, I can't claim anything because... At the end of the day, Cal Fogarty has numerous uh, Superbike world world titles. I'm talking GP um, class. I'm talking GP. The, the I mean, class. not name Sheen. I, I don't mean, know. Do do I have a higher point score? Like, there's there's a record, and I don't know if I have it anymore. Um, in terms of most amount of points in a season by a British rider, I don't know if I have it anymore. If Crutchlow beat me, but I did have it at one point. Yeah, uh, I I think hold on, scored a total of two two hundred 
223.5 during the 2009 season. That's the highest number of Grand Prix points ever achieved by a British rider in a single season. So, yes, you do, sir. Yes, you do. So don't sell yourself short there, B. You honestly, man, one of the greatest British, uh, not named Sheen. I mean, don't get me wrong. And, I, at, and if Cal Fergerty was in this room or within uh, a zip code away from me, I wouldn't say that. I don't want to get chased down. I know he's crazy. I don't want to get beat up by him. But I, I really, <laughs> he's nuts. But he's all, he was great. But man, don't sell yourself short. Like I said, man, for what you have achieved, man, within a, a, a decade, still be a runner up in a championship and still relevant, man. Like that, it's like they kind of like I tell uh, to my producer, you know, it's like when you're the say a veteran, whatever, and they always want that young blood coming in, and the veterans really know how to race more than anybody, you know what I mean? And you still, like you said, and it's the love, you said it best, it's the love of the game, and you still have the love of the game, and that's what I love about you, man. It, you still love it, and you're still giving it up, and you, st you still put in that work, and I think it's beautiful, man. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart, B. You're still uh, the, the best British rider not named Sheen. Don't you forget that, bro. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Hey, we're, we're still knocking on the door. We're still trying. Um, like, I certainly haven't thrown in any towel at the moment. Uh, like I said, the door's halfway open for me uh, to potentially get back and do a full season um, if we get any racing this year or, you know, for, for next year as well. So um, I didn't think that a second opportunity would come by. So you can bet your bottom dollar that I'm not taking it lightly. And if it comes, we're, we're, we're there to do a proper job and, and show everyone what, what I've still got left in the tank, which is plenty. I know you do, man. I, I was so happy to get you on this. was the one I was, this was the one I wanted, man. Honestly, it's like, it's like being at a club and seeing a hot chick and go, oh, that's the girl I want. And then when I reached out and you said, yeah, no problem. I go, oh, really? And I was so happy, man, to get you. I mean it from the bottom. And don't think I'm not going to hit you up. If I go to F1 in Monaco, don't think I'm not going to, hey, man, just let me sleep on the couch. You know, you and your girl, do your thing, you know, and I, 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 I'll clean the place. I'll, I'll, I'll get a nice little corner. I'll bring like one bag, you know, and I'll be very, I'll be, I'll bring my own towels if you want me to. You know, I won't mess the place up. I just want to go to F1 in Monaco and stay at your place. That's all I want to do. And I want to train again. But you don't sleep. <laughs> like you, don't, you, you don't sleep like you're up at all hours so like, know, you you're like the worst house guest anyone could ever ask for <laughs> that's true that is like because you know he's a, at least you're eight hours ahead of me at least so it's like when you go to bed i'm still up and by the time i get ready to go to bed honestly when i time i'm getting ready to go to bed I, you know i put out a, a, a instagram twitter and i just remember you one time you going do you ever sleep because he's going to bed and he's seeing me on instagram or whatever and he wakes up and there's a new post he goes, do you ever sleep and that's the funniest thing man and i love it i i just love our relationship seeing you like i said going through what you do and having that faith in yourself and that's what i love about you now i feel that's synonymous also in that yeah, I, like, you know, you invest that faith in yourself and that, like, I've been in this business, I don't know how long, and I was telling my producer, I go, you know what, I, I'm, I just don't know how to give up. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm too, I always say I'm too stupid to give up. And I still love what I do. I still, you know, I like this new thing I'm doing right now. And that's the, uh, you know, this, that's what this virus has brought on, the positive. You always look, on, I always try to look on the positive side of everything. And this is something I wanted to do. And we had talked about this and this came up and, you know, unfortunately this virus came back. But, you know, what? look on the positive side. I'm getting to do this and interview people that I've wanted to. And like I said, you're like the one I'm like, this is the one I want. And I just hope this show 
kicks off like I wanted to. But even if that, man, this is what I always want to do, interview you in a professional setting. But, but away from the racetrack, away from all the distractions, just you relaxed and just this is what I wanted. So I appreciate you doing that, man. I mean it from the bottom of my heart, brother. I mean that. So thank you so much. No, you're more than welcome. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm bummed that your Qatar trip didn't work out like at the, uh, the start of the season. I don't want to bring it up too much because I know how much it affects you. But man, let's, uh, let's, yeah. let's stay positive. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll meet you in Factory, Factory of Prettier for another beer. Um, I, how great if, is that? If the season gets running and, and you get to a racetrack. How great is that in that you started off with a prayer and it's come full circle. You're with a prayer now. And I don't, and I know you're on the contract and I know you guys say the politically correct answer, but I know one of your riders, you know, he's in trouble. So are you back to being the, the other rider with a prayer? I mean, I know you're a test rider, but are you back being the, you know, it's strange, right? We have a test rider um, announced to the public as Lorenzo Salvadori. So right. it kind of is a bit strange that we have like two test riders at the, at the moment. But uh, yeah, until Andrea's um, court case and appeal goes full length and full term and he gets a final verdict off of the appeal, uh, I'm still sat in limbo. Right now, if there was a race this weekend, I'd be the guy turning up. Uh, I have my leathers ready to go. Uh, the 38 looks really sick on the side of the bike. Um, I've had my, I've had team pictures done in February. I mean, like I'll be bursting if it happens. Um, but until, until we get around one, then, then everything's up in the air. Can you fit in your leather? So have you gained any weight? Have you, uh, how's, how's, how's the training program? Ooh, now you... don't, don't ask about that. Like, <laughs> That's going to be the worst thing. Everyone's going to turn up and they're either going to be like big because no one's been riding and all their muscles kind of like, you know, like their riding muscles gone away or, or they're going to be bursting at the zip where they've just been like on a little poncho that they're taking around with them. They'll look like Tony Stewart on a race, on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. Tony Stewart's the fattest race car driver ever. It look like they're all, they've got fat faces because they get a chance to work out. I think it's going to be hilarious. The first race is going to be hilarious. You see, because when it's when it's the season they're all you see their, their, their cheekbones but now everybody's got little fatter faces and because they're inside they can't leave they can't get haircuts they all got afros i mean i think it's hilarious man so i want to see some fat gp riders i think that'd be hilarious man so anyway man brad thank you so much again for this from the bottom of my heart man um I, good luck in your training Hopefully, 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 fingers crossed. Like you can't see you in 2020. If not, we'll run each other down and run into each other down the road, brother. All right. Well, that's BT with my uh, interview with my buddy Bradley Smith, man, my son Bradley Smith. I thank you guys. This was the interview I wanted. Like I said, hit me up on my social pro uh, platforms: Instagram, YouTube, and uh, Twitter. Funnyman six eight six nine. Funnyman six eight six nine. BT Tales from a Gemini. Thank you so much, guys. Be safe and be good to each other. Peace.